It's been a long day without you, my friend. And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. We've come a long way from where we began. Oh, I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. When I see you again. Yes, as the song says, hopefully someday I'll see you again or whatever it says. I honestly don't know. I don't remember the lyrics already. But yes, we are back. Episode 6 of The Three Point Stance. I am your host, Peter Andrasani, and I'm super pumped for today's episode. We got a lot of great things to talk about. I had a really great idea for this episode that turned into two. As you all know, Sam Darnold did get traded yesterday. We will get into that a little bit. Um, I'm not going to speak too, too much about it because I know some people might want to get my take on it, being a Sam Darnold lover and hater at the same time. Uh, I will speak about that for a couple minutes, but really today's episode is all about the NFL free agency grades up until this point. Yes, I am an absolute psycho, and I typed up a 20-page cheat sheet. I wish you guys could see it, but I'll just... I don't know if you could hear that paper right there. That is 20 solid loose-leaf pages, or whatever this paper is called here, of all grades. Basically, just my quick take on the offseason up until this point for all 32 teams. And really, the only reason it's 20 pages is I really didn't write a lot. It was just the amount of signings and cuts and re-signings and trades, I, I put down basically every single important one uh, for every single team, but I only highlighted the ones I really want to speak on, so I'm, you're not going to hear about every single one, obviously. We'd be here for about two to three hours. But before we get into the festivities today, I just want to say it is a beautiful Tuesday afternoon, April 6th. I am getting my second vaccination today. I'm super excited about that. Uh, a little nervous because the first one kind of knocked me on my butt a little bit, but I'm hoping that the second one won't have any effects or very minimal effects, but it is a beautiful day. I hope everyone had a wonderful Easter weekend for those who celebrate. I know I did. I got to see most of my family who I haven't seen in a really long time, so that was really special to me, honestly. I know I didn't get to spend that much time with them, but every little time I get to spend with my family now, I definitely cherish it more than I used to, that's for sure. But the first thing I want to talk about today is obviously the Samuel Darnold trade from the New York Jets to the Carolina Panthers for a sixth round 2021 pick and a 2022 second rounder and fourth rounder. Uh, I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Am I sad that Sam Darnold got traded? Under the circumstances, I'm not. But for him as a player and as a person, I am sad because I really did like Sam Darnold. He's been a class act throughout this entire thing. He He's, been, he's got the crap kicked out of him for three years, injuries, bad coaching. This will be his third coaching staff in four years in the league, and he's only 23 years old. Hasn't complained once, was an absolute class act through the entire thing. I wish nothing but the best, the best for him, and I am a Sam Darnold fan for life. Wherever he goes, where whoever he plays for, I hope that he gets squeezes every ounce of potential out of himself and carves himself a really, really nice NFL career. That's what I want to just say beforehand for the trade. I think it works wonderfully for both sides. I think the return that the Jets got for a player that he was with the Jets is a fantastic return. For the player that he could be, maybe it's too little. Only time will tell. But 
you know, you can't really get draft capital off of potential. I mean, we've been banking off Sam Darnold's potential for the past three years, and we've seen flashes, but it, nothing really consistent. So to get a second, a fourth, and a sixth round pick in combination for the next couple of years, uh, I think it was a, it was great value. Um, now this really shakes up the top 10 of the draft because uh, I still wouldn't put it past Carolina to draft a quarterback if someone fell into their lap, say Justin Fields, Trey Lance. Uh, I don't think that, I think those are the only two options that they would go after. If Mac Jones is still on the board at eight, I think that they roll with Sam Darnold, especially since I saw that they are going to pick up his fifth year option, which goes $25 million against the cap. So it really wouldn't make sense to pick up the fifth year option and have $25 million against the books. And then have a rookie quarterback just sit behind him doing nothing. So um, for both sides, it works. I also saw that Teddy Bridgewater is free to explore trade options. Uh, man, Teddy's been just dealt a really crappy hand in his career. Uh, a really talented guy, a really nice guy. Everywhere he's gone, he's definitely shown potential. He's shown flashes of being a very, very serviceable quarterback in the NFL. And he's just one of those guys that like can't stick the injury, the catastrophic knee injury that he had. Obviously, it was detrimental to his development, and you know some people thought he wasn't going to be the same guy. I mean, let, this past year, he started off really hot, kind of cooled off. It was clear from the beginning, though, that he wasn't really the long-term answer in Carolina. I think we all knew that. I think Teddy knew that. That three-year, $60 million deal didn't come with too many guarantees. I'm pretty sure that if they don't trade him and they just wind up cutting him, they can save $12 million and will have an $8 million penalty hit against them. So it's really not that bad, but I think Teddy deserves to be traded to someone that could take a flyer on him. I, I really don't know who you would look for. I, I Maybe Chicago, maybe Washington. I'm really not sure because with Sam Darnold getting traded, all the pieces kind of fall into place where, where the quarterbacks are going to be taken, who's going to be starting, who's going to be in training camp battles. Really, Sam Darnold was the last piece. You know, obviously, with the whole Deshaun Watson thing going on, you know, that domino looks like it's not going to fall, at least this year. The Russell Wilson talks have definitely cooled off. Um, yeah, it, it seems like the, the QB carousel that was kind of wild this year has kind of come to a stop for right now. I don't really see any moves in the future, unless there's some draft day blockbusters or stuff like that. But anyway, really, the gist of what I'm trying to say is, I hope Sam Darnold realizes his potential and has a fantastic career in Carolina and beyond. And I hope every Jet fan knows that this is now Justin Fields or Zach Wilson's show in New York. Uh, I Everyone probably knows that they're leaning more towards Zach Wilson. I like Zach Wilson a little bit more than Justin Fields. Honestly, I would be happy with either one of them. Couldn't really care less who it was. I think Justin Fields is going to be fantastic. I think Zach Wilson is going to be fantastic. I just think Zach Wilson is a better... West Coast offensive style quarterback fit than Justin Fields is. But, you know, with that guy's work ethic and demeanor, he probably could work himself into being a fantastic system quarterback. But I'm just looking forward to the future for the Jets and for the Panthers. I think Sam has finally been put in a situation where he will get protected. He's got weapons around him. He's got McCaffrey. He's got DJ Moore. And he's reunited with Robbie Anderson. So I think that that's great. He always had some random, really, really good chemistry with Robbie Anderson. So like I said, I'll say it one more time. I hope Sam, I wish him all the best. He has a lifelong fan in me. I just think that it was time for him to go in New York. Time to cut ties. Everyone has to start fresh. 
I think it's a win for everyone. I don't see any losses in this whatsoever. Now, getting into the main reason why I was so excited about this episode was I compiled this massive, massive paper. I think that this is a bigger paper than I ever wrote in college, and that's really saying something, <laughs> to be honest with you. that That's pretty crazy. But before I get into the first grade, I'm going to go obviously in alphabetical order. Uh, show some love, man. I mean, the numbers have been doing great. You guys are just continue to kill it. The numbers just keep getting better when I think that they've plateaued and I have to do something different or try even harder. I give them maybe 160 instead of 150%. The numbers just keep appearing. It's You guys are, are just a, an amazing support system. 299 subscribers on YouTube. Yes, we are one away from our 2021 goal, which was 300, and it just turned April. So I'm eight months ahead of schedule, but obviously it's not good enough for me. Now I want 500 by the end of the year. Better yet, 1,000. Definitely not going to happen, but <laughs> but I'd definitely like to see 500 before the end of the year. That's definitely feasible. Just I, I can't thank you guys enough, really, for the, for the support and the continued support, the kind words, everything. You guys mean the world to me. Like I say all the time, I'm just a schmuck with a microphone who thinks he knows what he's talking about, and the fact that anywhere between... 50 to 120 people will listen per episode is awesome to me, honestly. Now, this particular subject area will be on YouTube by the end of this week. I have a little bit of a busy week, a little bit of a, a kerfluffled week. Uh, like I said, with the unknown, with my second shot, I really don't know how much I'll be doing anything. I don't know if I'll be going to work the next couple days. I don't know if I'll feel as right as rain. Who knows, everything is up in the air, but I'm going to try and get this in video form as fast as possible up on YouTube um, because, you know, there's some, there's time windows here that I need to hit and before the information becomes obsolete for the season. But without further ado, I know we're 10 minutes into this. Let's just, let's get started here. And the first team that's up, obviously, is the Arizona Cardinals, if we're going in alphabetical order. Now, the Cardinals, in my opinion, had a really good offseason. Uh, they made, obviously, some fantastic moves. They signed J.J. Watt to a two-year $31 million deal. They signed A.J. Green, which, to me, honestly, is just really a smokescreen. Everyone looks at the name and says, oh, A.J. Green, he's really a shell of what he used to be. Uh, fringe Hall of Fame potential for him, but uh, he really is just a third wide receiver, in my opinion, at this point in his career. He signed a $1 million uh, excuse me, a one-year $8 million deal. And really, the move that solidified everything for me so far this offseason for the Cardinals, was trading a third-round pick to get Rodney Hudson in a seventh-round pick. Now, Rodney Hudson has been one of the best centers in football throughout the duration of his career. So to get Hudson for a third-round pick, I think that that was a fantastic piece of business. They shore up that offensive line just a little bit more. I'd like to see them go for a guard or a tackle at some point in this draft. I know it's probably not going to be in the first round. They have huge holes in the secondary that they need to address. I think with the 16th overall pick, if they don't trade it, they definitely should go after a cornerback. I'm, I'm assuming Greg Newsom, J.C. Horn, Caleb Fairley will be around at that point in the draft. But if we're talking about grades here, I'm giving the Arizona Cardinals a B-plus so far in their offseason. I think they've done a really good job. And for the second straight year, they have gotten better on paper through free agency. Obviously, the second team up after that is the Atlanta Falcons, and really, this is quick. Um, they had no money to spend. They really couldn't do anything. 
they made very minimal moves. They signed Mike Davis to a two-year deal, which is pretty cool. They said uh, Barkevius Mingo, Brendan Copeland, and they traded for Lee Smith, who is a very good blocking tight end. So, um, And they also just said that the fourth overall pick is up for fire sale. So I fully expect at this point the Atlanta Falcons to be trading back. How far they're going to trade back is questionable. I don't really know how far they're going to trade back, but they need to start building their team a little bit more through the draft as the cap situation gets worse and worse every single year with some of the big contracts that they have. But I give the Falcons a solid C because they didn't do much, but they didn't really have to do too, too much. Really, what what determines their grade, first and foremost, is how good they perform in the draft because that's really going to be the biggest influx of talent. I mean, I can't really grade anything off of Mike Davis, Brendan Copeland, Barkevius Mingo, and Lee Smith. That would be unfair, because on paper, that would be an F, but those guys are really good role players, and I think they did the most with what they had, and I give them a C for that, for sure. Excuse me as I flip the page. You're going to hear a lot of page flipping here. Uh, 20 pages. (laughs) Uh, Next up, we have the Baltimore Ravens. They didn't make monumental moves. I think that they made great moves, honestly, but it wasn't like franchise altering. Like signing Kevin Zeitler to a three-year deal at $7.3 million a year was a fantastic piece of business. They, after Marshall Yonda retired, they desperately needed guard help last year, and you could see it. I mean, Marshall Yonda quietly had a Hall of Fame career in Baltimore. No one really knows that. And he was that's that's hard to replace with any franchise that would be hard to replace. And I think getting Zeitler, who was a surprise cut from the Giants, maybe it was because of the money that he was making, to get him at $7 million pretty much per year for three years shores up that offensive line just a little bit more. And then obviously re-signing Tyus Bowser was big. They did lose Matthew Judon, but they did re-sign, like I said, Bauer. They signed Justin Ellis, and they re-signed Derek Wolf. So they retained most of that defensive line. I fully expect them to go for a pass rusher, probably in the middle round, second, third round, maybe even fourth. And then they did sign Sammy Watkins this past week, I believe, or the past 10 days, which is a nice signing. Sammy Watkins automatically basically becomes their number one wide receiver, and that's not good enough for Lamar Jackson. They need to get him another weapon. I do believe I'll stay on, I will stand on this hill until the day of draft day. But I believe that Terrence Marshall is going to be their number, their, their first round pick. I've said that from the beginning, and that's one pick that I will stay on the entire draft season until someone or the Baltimore Ravens tells me different. But I think that they've done a great job. They're trending in the right direction when it comes to getting some protection for Lamar and some weapons. I mean, it's not fantastic. Like, you don't think of, when you think of an all-pro or Pro Bowl guard, you don't think of Kevin Zeitler. Same thing with, with Sammy Watkins when you think of a, a, a all-pro or Pro Bowl wide receiver. But those are some solid moves that are low cost and have massive upside. Like Sammy Watkins could easily have a 1,000-yard season with Lamar Jackson as his quarterback. So I give it a, a B plus. I think that they did a really good job so far on their uh, off-season acquisitions. Next up, we have the Buffalo Bills, and the Bills didn't go out and really get anyone in particular. They have one of the most talented rosters in football on the offensive side. Defensive side, they're good, but they need to get better. Uh, As I've said, as the progression of Josh Allen throughout his career, I feel like the defense has gotten significantly worse. Like his first year, they were lights, lights out defensively. And then last year when he was getting better, 
know, two years ago when he was getting better, they were eh, middle of the pack. And then this year when he was MVP caliber, probably would have won the MVP in any other season. Um, <laughs> they were awful. But they did a really good job. They re-signed their heart of the defense, Matt Milano, to a four-year deal. They re-signed Darrell Williams, who's a huge part of that line. They signed Emmanuel Sanders after cutting John Brown. So really, you get a better version of John Brown in Emmanuel Sanders, even with his advanced age, quote-unquote, for, for football. They signed Jacob Hollister, who, I mean, I've never thought of Buffalo as having a good tight end ever. I mean, the only tight end in my lifetime that had a couple fairly decent seasons in Buffalo was Charles Clay. So that's all I could really think about. They're not really a tight end town. Um, I do like the Jacob Hollister signing. And they re- and they signed Mitchell Trubisky to back up um, Josh Allen in case his playing style gets him injured. Trubisky is the best backup in football right off the bat. Like he 100%, in my opinion, just upgrades that quarterback room that much more. Like I know Trubisky has definitely fallen way far way short of expectations, but uh, that's a fantastic person to have as your backup, in my opinion, especially to a guy like Josh Allen with similar playing style. So it's not as, it's not so different if, God forbid, he ever has to get into the game, they have to switch up their offensive style so much. So I gave the Bills an A right out because they retained all their huge free agents. They made minimal acquisitions that made them a better team. Oh yeah, and they re Isaiah McKenzie, who had a fantastic last game of the season. And he's a really nice little piece to have there in the offense. The next team is the Carolina Panthers. And I'm not going to talk about Sam Darnold. We just talked about that. This isn't a Sam Darnold show. They placed, they had, um, they had a good off season up until this point, free agency wise and everything like that. Uh, they started out hot. They placed the franchise tag on uh, Taylor Moten, which was really good. He is their best offensive lineman. Then they signed Cam Irving, who's been a really good swing tackle his entire career. That's a two-year, $10 million deal. You can't really get more value out of a swing tackle than $5 million a year. Then they signed Pat Fline, And, uh, you know, to, I don't mind them signing him, but a three-year deal, $13.5 million, that's, that's a lot. He's not a good – he's statistically one of the worst guards in football – I just think it was kind of like, hey, we need as much offensive line as we can. We'll bring in anyone if the price is semi-right. So that kind of didn't really sit well with me. Uh, Defensively, they signed Denzel Perryman and Hassan Reddick. Not bad. I like those. They did sign Rashawn Melvin. Pretty good cornerback depth. They signed Dan Arnold to shore up that tight end room just a little bit more because they only have Ian Thomas really over there. And uh, they signed David Moore to, I guess, replace Curtis Samuel. That was their biggest loss of the offseason. Curtis Samuel, obviously, was, uh, with McCaffrey being out most of the season, he was probably their most electric player, I'd say. So, uh, David Moore's a good signing. I guess two years, $5 million, can't really go wrong with that. But I think they need one more weapon if they stay at eight and Kyle Pitts is falling in the draft, which I doubt he does. Uh, I say that Carolina easily scoops up Kyle Pitts at number eight, 100%. But up until this point, given what they've done, I've given them a, a B. Uh, it, it was going downhill. I had them at a C plus, I think, yesterday. And then after the news of Sam Darnold, I updated it because I think that it makes them that much better. I'm banking off of Sam Darnold's potential, ju- potential just like the Carolina Panthers are. So I gave them a B for that. Next up, we have the Chicago Bears. 
I I had it between a D minus and an F. And the only reason I the only reason why I'm considering a D minus is because they did retain Allen Robinson through the franchise tag. Uh, if he's happy about that, probably not. Um, the other moves they made, not a fan. Um, confirming that Andy Dalton is a starting quarterback when you were linked to Russell Wilson is gravely disappointing. Um, cutting Kyle Fuller and signing Desmond Trufant, I'm not a fan of. Just really bad moves, in my opinion. Doesn't make them better, makes them ten times worse. If you were going to invest $10 million in Andy Dalton, you might as well just have invested $10 million in Mitchell Trubisky, in my opinion. At least give him one more year. Give him another shot. So I'm actually, after saying all that, I've convinced myself to give them an F. I think that they've had an awful offseason so far. Next up, we have the Cincinnati Bengals, who at first were doing very poorly, in my opinion, because they lost Carl Lawson and they lost William Jackson. And the first thing they did was they overpaid for Trey Hendrickson, Four years, $60 million, wasn't a fan. And then they replaced William Jackson with uh, Chidobu Owuzi. I'm not, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I know I'm saying the last name right. He was the cornerback for the last few seasons on Dallas. He's, he's a fine cornerback. Um, but I, I just thought that that was like equal replacements, and you're paying them more money than they got paid in other places. So I wasn't too much of a fan of it. But then they really started picking up business. And my main thing for them throughout this offseason, is to protect Joe Burrow. So they didn't really do that. I mean, they cut legend Geno Atkins. They did sign Riley Reef, which was okay. That's a perfect, like, one-year stopgap, I guess. Their offensive line is terrible. It's been terrible for really, a really long time. So signing anyone as somewhat quality as Riley Reef isn't bad. They signed Mike Hilton, which I really like. $6 million a year for a slot cornerback that has played really well. And you took him from a division rival in Pittsburgh. That was a great move. Uh, they signed Eli Apple. They re-signed Quentin Spain. Not bad. Um, overall, I gave them a B- minus because I do like the other moves that they... I like all the moves they made. I just think that Hendrickson and Awuzie were just like-for-like like players with the guys that they lost. Um, but really, the Bengals' offseason is banking off what they do in the draft, how they protect... Joe Burrow, because they could make all the signings in the world. That you could you could resign Prime Terrell Owens and and Jerry Rice. If you have no time to throw the ball, you're not going to win games. And that's you know not to get into a rabbit hole here, but the Cincinnati Bengals have been one of the cheapest, stingiest franchises in all of sports throughout the duration of I think it's Paul Brown, his reign as owner. You invested the first overall pick, that's nothing to sneeze at, in Joe Burrow. He does look like a, a great player. He looks like he's going to have a fine NFL career. Protect the man. He's got decent weapons around him already. Protect the man. He will find the open person if you protect him. So really, the grade hinges off of what they do in the draft, in my opinion. Next up, Cleveland Browns. A. Absolute A. I'm not even going to wait until the end of the explanation. The Browns really only went into this offseason with two needs, and that was linebacker and safety. And they went out and got John Johnson for a three-year deal worth $33 million, $11 million for a safety who could really do it all and flies under the radar is a really, really nice deal. I was really hyped about that. Then they took flyers on Tack McKinley, uh, Anthony Walker, and Malik Jackson, which strengthened some areas that needed just a little bit of depth, which is perfect. And then Rashad Higgins took less money 
to re-sign with the Browns. So that really tells you something about the culture that they're building over there in Cleveland. So it's an A across the board. The the Cleveland Browns have made, in two years, have made a complete 180 as a franchise and have turned into something that is definitely not a laughing stock anymore. So hats off to them for that. Uh, next up, Dallas Cowboys. And uh, this might be controversial because the fact that they did get a deal done with Dak Prescott. I gave the Cowboys a D, and the only reason why is because after they secured Prescott, they really did nothing. I know that they didn't have much money, but... Uh, they signed Ty uh, Nishak, I think his name is. They re-signed Jordan Lewis, which was a pretty decent deal. Three years, uh, almost $17 million. Uh, and then they signed linebacker slash safety Keanu Neal. So not really anything to strengthen the defense, which was arguably the worst that we've seen in probably a decade, especially passing defense-wise. So uh, I only give them a D because the one spot that they really need to improve, they have done nothing so far. I'm a little bit, I'll just give you a, a quick, you know, synopsis of the whole thing. Every team that was cap-strapped really didn't get that good of a grade. And I know I'm being harsh on the teams that, that were cap-strapped, but you also deserve the grade because you got yourself into those situations. And uh, the mark of a good franchise is how to get yourself out of bad situations that previous regimes have gotten into. So I don't think the Dallas Cowboys have done a great job so far of getting out of that cap hell hole, but uh, signing Prescott was their main priority, and they did that, so I guess that warrants an A in itself, but everything else is pretty bad, so I gave them a D for that. Could change depending on what they do in the draft. Next up, we have the Denver Broncos. Man, what a what an offseason for the Broncos, defensively. Offensively, there's a lot of question marks going into it. I mean, we don't know. You don't know what you're going to get from Drew Locke. Uh, Jerry Judy had an okay rookie year. He had the case of the dropsies. KJ Hamler was basically non-existent. Cortland Sutton didn't even take a step onto the field. Their offensive line had a little bit of issues. Uh, they need to shore up some areas on the offensive side. Defensively, they went in there with one, with one job to do, and that was to shore up the secondary. And boy, did they ever. First off, they re-signed Justin Simmons, who has quietly become one of the best uh, safeties in football, to a four-year deal. Then they signed Ronald Darby, who wasn't playing well in his career, then had a bounce-back year very nicely in Washington, signed a nice three-year, $30 million deal. And then they went out and signed Kyle Fuller after the Bears cut him. And then they re-signed Kareem Jackson. So, And they get Bryce Callahan back this season as a slot corner. So really, the, the, the Denver Broncos secondary went from probably being a bottom half to maybe a top 10 right away. I think they made some fantastic moves. I gave them an A-. I think they did a great job. That's all I'm really going to say on that. They, they, did a good, they did a great job. Next up, we have the Detroit Lions. And they were in a little bit of cap hell themselves at the beginning. I'm going to read the first half of their offseason moves, and you're going to be like, wow, this team is done. The first half was after they traded Matthew Stafford. Uh, cut, 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 cut. So seven cuts in a row of pretty decent players, too. Like, you got you got Desmond Trufant, Justin Coleman, Jesse James, Chase Daniel, and Danny Shelton in there, to name a couple other guys, Russell Bodine and Christian Jones. So a lot of, like, good players who played some pretty big roles for them, were cut right away. And I was like, oh boy, here we go. Here's a massive 
massive rebuild and they're going to be 0-16 or 1-15 this year and just be completely out of it. And they still might be, you know. But they did make some good signings. They traded for Michael Brockers and they got him at an ultra-low price because the LA Rams were in cap hell and they called up their old buddies and they were like, hey, we love the fact that you gave us Matthew Stafford. So we're going to give you Michael Brockers for a seventh round pick. And Detroit's like, hell yeah, let's do it. Absolutely. They signed Tyrell Williams. They signed Josh Hill. Uh, Bashad Perryman, Alex Anzalone, who has the greatest hair in the NFL. Uh, I gave them a C plus because, like, I know that they were going to get knocked for not really doing much, but there was really nothing they could do. And what free agent is going to want to go to a team that has been as dysfunctional as Detroit the last few years and just traded their best quarterback in franchise history. So I think they did an okay job considering what they were dealt. They're not going to be good and they're not going to be good for some time, but it seems to me on the right direction. Also, they, they re-signed Romeo Aquaro and they signed Jamal Williams. So that's a really nice tandem in the backfield there of having DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. So I like what they're doing there. They're kind of protecting Jared Goff, who doesn't really have any weapons or a pot to piss in rather uh, on offense. So I think a C-plus is a fair grade for that. Then we move on to the Packers, and this is short and sweet. Uh, I'm not okay with the Packers doing nothing. And by nothing, I mean going out of the way to sign anyone that wasn't on their team last year. I like the fact that they re-signed Aaron Jones. I don't like the fact that max value, it's $12 million a year, especially after you drafted a running back in the second round. Um, Not a fan of that for the money. I do love Aaron Jones. They cut Rick Wagner, who is their swing tackle. Not sure why. They need as much offensive line depth as possible when you have a 37-turning-38-year-old quarterback back there. They re-signed Kevin King, who arguably might have cost them a trip to the Super Bowl this year, this past year. And then they re-signed 945-year-old Mercedes Lewis to a two-year deal. I'm not okay with that. They didn't address any of their needs whatsoever. I guess they're going to wait. They're, they're a team that usually doesn't spend through the through free agency anyway. Despite having one of the best fan bases in football, I guess you could say that they're a small market team because, you know, Green Bay has like when Green Bay plays at Lambeau Field, the entire town is at Lambeau Field. So I guess you could say that. Um yeah, I give them a D because it did nothing. They consistently do nothing every single year to address their needs, and Aaron Rodgers is just that good that he drags this semi-mediocre roster to a NFC title game almost every year. So I gave them a D because they're boring, and they did nothing. Next up, the Houston Texans, and I'm not even going to... this. I It literally took me two pages, two full pages, to get my little synopsis and all their moves into one. That's how many moves they made. And I think it's categorized best in saying that they just made a lot of moves because they had a lot of money and a lot of holes. Nothing really sticks. They started off pretty good. They signed Mark Ingram and Christian Kirksey. They signed uh, Camus Guru-Hill, which is actually one of the best cover linebackers in football that no one might not know about. They signed Tyrod Taylor. They signed Desmond King. They signed Philip Lindsay. I might be here for an hour trying to tell you all these, these signings that they made and these cuts. But at the end of the day, if you take the Deshaun Watson situation out of the equation, if none of these allegations, nothing, this police investigation doesn't exist, 
I think it's a pretty solid offseason. They didn't really do much to get better, but they shored up a lot of a lot of holes that they had with mediocre players. No one's going to stay. No one's going to be sticking around for the entirety of this uh, rebuild. But they did an adequate job filling in holes to at least still be competitive. Now, is that with Deshaun Watson in mind? I don't know because it looks to be like he will be on the team this year, even if he's if something comes out and he's even able to play football this year. It looks like he's going to be staying on the Texans, maybe against his will. But this team looks like they are preparing for the inevitable departure of Deshaun Watson. They're just really signing players to one-year deals, kind of like what the Jets did last year, where it was like, all right, let's tread above water for a year, see what we can get out of these players, and then if someone plays good, we'll re-sign them maybe to another one-year or multi-year deal, and then everyone else is as good as gone, so we have as much cap space as as humanly possible. So I gave them a C because, you know, like, it wasn't good, but it wasn't terrible, so... C is the perfect middle ground, in my opinion, for that. So, really, yeah, a C is perfect, middle ground. If they were in school, they would be getting their paper back with a 70 to 75 on their offseason, minus Deshaun Watson. So, moving on to the Indianapolis Colts. I'm always high on the Indianapolis Colts. I think that Chris Ballard and company... It have the best front office in football. I think that they always do a fantastic job in the offseason, in the draft. They could have made absolutely no moves, and I probably still would have given them at least a C for this offseason, just because I know that they have something cooking up their sleeve. They're one of the teams that doesn't have many holes in the roster at all. Uh, they made a big trade for Carson Wentz, so they're really banking on him recapturing his near MVP season in 2017. I think he can. He's got a good offensive line in front of him for once in his life. He doesn't have that many weapons, but I'm sure that that'll be addressed in the draft. And also after signing T.Y. Hilton to another one-year deal, which might be his last season in Indianapolis, they're really banking on Paris Campbell and Michael Pittman to become the guys that they think that they were going to. I think they were both drafted in the second round. So you know, nothing to sneeze at drafting two wide receivers in two straight seasons in the second round and not becoming anything. So they really, they really want them to take the next step, and I think they will. And I, and really, they signed Isaac Rochelle. Not bad. Uh, they did lose Danico Autry, and they haven't re-signed Justin Houston. So they really need a pass rusher to put alongside um, DeForest Bunkner. Because he is a force on the inside, but he can't get anything done if he's getting double teamed every time. He's just going to essentially be a $20 million per year block eater. Um, they signed Sam Tevy. That's a fine swing tackle. He's not going to be anything more than that. And they re-signed Xavier Rhodes and Marlon Mack. Mack coming off of an injury, and Xavier Rhodes coming off of a pretty decent bounce-back season. So they didn't really spend any of their cap money, which is kind of uncharacteristic. But it's great for the future, and that just makes me think that they're going to be even better in this year's draft. So I give them a B plus because I think that they made moves when they had to, and they didn't overreach. And that's exactly what Ballard is all about. Next up, Jacksonville Jaguars. This is another team that made 527,000 moves that took up two pages. If the Jacksonville Jaguars and Houston Texans and New England Patriots didn't exist, this could have easily been 10 pages long, not 20. <laughs> but... They started off hot. They placed a franchise tag on Cam Robinson. They took a, a flyer on Cam Robinson a couple years ago. Um, and he has, to, after putting in one of the worst pro days and combine performances, 
He has proven himself to be very, very good. Uh, just Same thing with Orlando Brown. Just proves that really pro days and combine performances can be nothing. Like, look at Orlando Brown. He's a three-time pro bowler, I'm pretty sure. And he statistically had the worst combine for an offensive tackle of all time. And fell from a first-round talent to a third-round talent. Now look at him. Now he's a three-time pro bowler playing on one of the best teams in the AFC. So, just goes to show you that. It doesn't always mean something. But getting back into it before I went down that rabbit hole, they signed Jamal Agnew as well, which if no one knows who he is, Jamal Agnew is an all-pro return guy. So that's pretty cool. Uh, They signed Philip Dorsett. They signed Carlos Hyde, who was previously on the Jaguars, I think a couple years ago. Um, They they signed Shaquille Griffin, which was huge. That was their big money signing of the offseason, three years, $40 banking on him to become a number one wide, um, excuse me, a number one cornerback like he was in Seattle. I feel like the two teams that spend the most money on cornerbacks and free agency are pre-Joe Douglas Jets and the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're always signing like a a great player to a massive deal and then it just never works out. Uh, They also traded for Malcolm Brown, which is a nice block eater in the middle of their uh, defensive front seven. And they signed Marvin Jones to a two-year deal, so that's another weapon for Trevor Lawrence to inevitably throw to once the season starts. So Marvin Jones coming off of a career year, I think he had 900 receiving yards, 10 touchdowns, uh, 75-plus catches. Coming off of a good year, he's 30 years old. Two-year deal is more than okay. I gave them a B-minus, honestly, because I know they made a ton of a ton of moves. Um, and a lot of them are more depth moves, but the ones that they made big money wise, um, I think they were good. They, this definitely makes the offense a little bit better and the moves that they made makes the def- the defense a lot better. So hats off to them. They did a good job considering that it was looking rough the way that their, their coaching staff was coming together. So B minus, right? B minus. Let me check that other page. No B, not even a minus. Wow. I'm glad I checked that. So moving on Kansas city chiefs. Now, Boy, it must be nice to be a Kansas City Chiefs fan, let me tell you. Uh, they cut Eric Fisher. They cut Mitchell Schwartz. The, wow. Mitchell Schwartz. Wow, I had I had a tough time with that one right there. And they also cut Damian Williams. So right off the bat, their two starting tackles from last year are gone. That was kind of... The Schwartz cut was surprising. Fisher wasn't really that surprising. That was surprising. Uh, they also cut Mike Reimers, but then they re-signed him. So that's that's pretty solid. They like Mike Reimers over there for some reason. And I think the reason why they cut Fisher and Schwartz is because they really like Lucas Niang. Now, he was their second-round tackle from last year's draft who opted out of the 2020 season. So not many people might know him, but he is slotted right now to be the starting tackle. I'm not sure on what side. But they really like him. So, you know, who knows? what he could be. I guess they're banking off him to become something special. But then after all those cuts, they signed the best guard in football in Joe Tooney. Uh, they signed Taco Charlton. They signed Kyle Long out of retirement. I mean, they didn't make many moves, but the one area really besides for the defensive line that they needed to shore up was offensive line. And you get the best guard in football. I think they re-signed Austin Reader too, which was their center from last year. So he played pretty good. So you get Reader back. You get Kyle Long out of retirement. Who knows what he's going to be, but he was a three-time Pro Bowler while he was playing. And then you have Joe Tooney for a massive five-year, $80 million deal, but he will definitely live up to that. 
He is one of the best guards in football, hands down. So if you thought Patrick Mahomes with barely any time was scary, just wait until he has three or four seconds to throw the ball. He might throw for 7,000 yards this year. The rich get richer, as I say, as I said in this little uh, synopsis here. A minus for the Kansas City Chiefs so far. They've done a fantastic job shoring up the spaces that they needed to with minimal amount of money that they had. That's why the NFL cap is a joke, but that's a story for another time. Next up, we had the Las Vegas Raiders, and they had one of the most confusing off-seasons, I think, of any team so far. Uh, you know, they traded basically their entire offensive line away. They traded Trent Brown, they traded Gabe Jackson, they traded Rodney Hudson, and they tra- and they cut Richie Incognito. You know, it was really funny how at the beginning of the offseason, Russell Wilson was like, I wouldn't mind going to the Raiders. They have a good offensive line. So I guess the Raiders brat, I heard, I guess John Gruden and Mike Mayock heard that and were like, well, I guess we got to trade everyone away because Russell Wilson likes what we're doing. So we must be doing something wrong if someone likes what we're doing because that's not the way that Mike Mayock and John Gruden operate. So they got rid of basically their entire offensive line. They got okay draft capital back for it. They got a third rounder back for uh, Gabe Jackson. They got a third rounder back from Rodney Hudson. Uh, I don't know. Oh, they got, okay. They got a seventh rounder and a fifth rounder for... Trent Brown, not really great considering that he was getting paid all that money. Whatever. And then they went out and they signed Yannick Ngankwe, which was a good, a very good signing. And for $13 million a year, a former top defensive end, I'll take a $13 million a year chance on that, hands down. That That's a great signing. They re-signed their best linebacker from last year, Nicholas Morrow, to a one-year $5 million deal. They signed John Brown. And they signed Denzel Good again. So, like, the offseason went from being really... <coughs> pardon me. Got dry there. Uh, their often, their, their offseason went from being very questionable to what the hell are you doing, considering that you started off 6-3 and three with this team. Why are you tearing it down? To going, oh, okay, I see what they're doing. They just needed some money. And then it just went crazy again. And then they, they signed Kenyon Drake to a two-year... $15 million deal, and I'm all well and good with that. There's a lot of teams in the NFL that have two good running backs, but is Kenyon Drake really worth $7.5 million a year to be a backup? I don't think so, especially when you have a decent running back in Josh Jacobs. That was very questionable to me. I I, I didn't really like that signing. I didn't really I didn't really like it for Kenyon Drake either because the guy has been a starting running back for the past couple of years, and then you take a clear backseat to a guy that's better than you. I don't know. I guess money really talks. And they made some pretty decent signings. They signed Nick Martin, who's a center, and they signed Andre James, who is a center as well. Uh, I guess one of them is going to guard. To guard. But essentially what I'm saying is this was a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde offseason for the, the Raiders. I really didn't know what to make of it. So I, I put them with two grades. I gave them B- minus or a C plus. You guys make the decision. I don't really know. I'm leaning more towards C+, plus only because they got rid of their entire offensive line from last year for the most part. Not really a big fan of it, but uh, from the signings that they made, they didn't do too bad. It was just the people that they lost that were was questionable. So moving on to the team that I think has had the best offseason so far, and, or, or one of the top three. This is, this is the second of my top three. First was the Chiefs. Second is the Los Angeles Chargers. Wow. It started off good. They cut Trey Turner, who was awful last year, who... They traded Russell Okung for, which was like a straight swap, where people were like, wow, Okung for Trey Turner? He's a five-time Pro Bowl guard, and Okung hasn't really lived up to expectations for the past couple years. 
And then Okun was good, and Trey Turner was awful. So, there you go. That's how much we know. Uh, they cut Casey Hayward, which I saw coming. He's 32 years old. And he is form- He is a, a formerly elite, but, you know, he is getting up there in age. Then, when they started signing players, they signed Corey Lindsay to a five-year, $62 million year, which, honestly, $12.5 million for an all-pro center. How could you go wrong? Then they resigned Mike Davis, which is pretty cool. He's a good special teamer, and he's not a bad slot corner as well. Then they signed guard Matt Filer, and that at seven million dollars a year, the worst that Matt Filer is going to be for the Los Angeles Chargers is an average guard. And average guards don't even get paid seven million dollars a year; they get paid more. So the fact that at very worst you're going to get a seven million dollar average NFL starter was a, a great piece of business for the Chargers. And then after losing Hunter Henry, who, yeah, it sounded like a big loss, but it's really not because this past season was the only year that he really relatively stayed healthy for the entire season. And he's also a guy that's never put up over 700 receiving yards in a season. So, yeah, like his potential and the fact that he's young was a big loss. But they weren't going to pay him what the the Patriots paid him. I understand from both sides. You know, you want to get paid, and also you don't want to pay that much for a guy that gets injured if you blow on him. Um, and they signed Jared Cook. So Jared Cook is, I think, 35 or 36, but he's coming off of a pretty good year in New Orleans, and he's just one of those guys that he reminds me of Antonio Gates a little bit, but a worse version of Antonio Gates, where, like, no matter how old he is, he's always going to make the catch. Like, he's always going to stretch the field somehow. Like, that was a really good signing, and he's, like, a really nice security blanket for Justin Herbert. But the main thing that the... Chargers needed to do this offseason was protect their number one asset in Justin Herbert. And they've gotten off to a blistering start by getting rid of Sam Tevy, first off. That was great in its own. Now you just got to get rid of Trey Pipkins and they'll be fine. And you signed Matt Filer and you signed Corey Lindsay. Now they need a left tackle in the draft. I fully expect them to go either left tackle or cornerback in the first round. Either way would be awesome. But hats off to the Chargers. They finally seem to be doing it really right. And I'm excited for them, and I'm excited for my cousin, who's a big Chargers fan. Next, we got the Rams. Uh, The Rams did the best with what they could have. You know, they didn't have a lot of money. They were over the cap for basically the entire offseason. And this is a team that clearly can perform without any first-round draft picks. And until 2024, they won't have a first-round draft pick. I guess that's fine for them. They don't really care. They have a fantastic defense, and they have a pretty decent offense that got better. They got rid of Jared Goff, who's a hack, and they got one of the most underrated quarterbacks in NFL history in Matthew Stafford. So now we'll really see how Matthew Stafford plays when the pressure is all on his shoulders and now he's expected to perform. It wasn't like, oh, well, we know Matthew Stafford's going to perform, so uh, the rest of the team has to perform. No, now it's the other way around. Now it's, we know what we're going to get from this from the team. Now Matthew Stafford has to put up his regular numbers, which are Hall of Fame, if you ask me. Every single year, and you might win a Super Bowl, or you might get to a Super Bowl. I don't know if Tom Brady and his ancient ass have anything to say about that. Uh, they re-signed Leonard Floyd to a massive deal. Uh, they took a flyer on him last year, and he did wind up with 10.5 sacks. So he had a good season, but $16 million a year for a guy who really only has two good seasons under his belt. I'm not sure about that, but then again, the price for outside linebackers slash defensive ends is massive. So I guess that's a pretty decent deal. 
And they signed Deshaun Jackson on a one-year deal. So they get to stretch the field again with Deshaun Jackson. Uh, and you get Cooper Cup, Robert Wood, Bobby Trees, Tyler Higbee. They got a, they got a good offense. They replaced they essentially replaced Josh Reynolds with Deshaun Jackson, and that's pretty good if you ask me. So I give them a B minus because they did the most with what they could have. The fact that they were over the cap, basically up until the deadline. So I I I gave them a B minus because they were in cap hell. Uh, next up we have the Miami Dolphins. Who uh, this is not me being biased because I'm a Jet fan. I don't like any of the moves that they really made in the offseason. They started off by actually making a good like actually making a good move. After they released Kyle Van Noy one one year into a four-year deal, which I didn't agree with, but okay. They traded Shaq Lawson for Bernardrick McKinney, which isn't bad because Bernardrick McKinney is a good linebacker. So essentially he's a more athletic, younger version of Kyle Van Noy. Okay. Like that's a that's a, not a bad move, I guess. Then after that, it's just a lot of questionable stuff. They they traded a seventh round pick for Isaiah Wilson and then cut him. Basically, right after that, I mean, you know, Isaiah Wilson was a first round pick last year. He has some problems, and I hope he gets the help that he needs because, yeah, you know, you work this hard to get to this level and then you squander it all the way. You have to have some kind of issues. So I hope whatever issues he has, he gets them worked out, and then he gets back to doing what he does best and playing football. So, you know, I wish him all the best with that. But that was essentially a waste, not to sound rude, but that was a waste. I mean, seventh-round picks or whatever, but it's still a waste of some draft capital. Um, then they signed Jacoby Brissett, uh, excuse me, which wasn't bad. They signed Justin Coleman, Adam Butler, okay moves. And then they signed Will Fuller. And, like, this is going to sound rude. Why are you signing a deep threat when Tua Tagovailoa cannot throw the ball deep? I know I'm really hard on this guy, but until he starts slinging the ball 50, 60 yards downfield and proves to me that he can actually throw a ball downfield, what the hell do you have Will Fuller for? You already have Jakeem Grant and you already have Albert Wilson. What do you need another guy that could burn the defense for? That I didn't understand. Get someone like Devontae Parker and Mike Gesicki who could work the middle of the field and maybe stretch it if they have to. I guess they got him for his catch-and-run ability because they're very conservative with Tua's arm. Hopefully they let it fly. Hopefully he's fully healthy this year. They let it. He lets it fly, and he can prove all of us wrong because it doesn't really look like he can throw the ball more than 40 yards downfield. I give them a C-plus because I, I just wasn't high on any of their moves. I don't think that they necessarily made any moves to make themselves really that much better, but... I also didn't factor in the fantastic trading that they did, so we'll see what they do with the extra draft capital over the next couple of years. I mean, they're just, they have, the way that they've rebuilt their team is the way that I want the Jets to rebuild themselves. Like, basically completely through the draft, getting just a lot of young, good players, and holding on to those young, good players until they actually turn into something. Like, Devontae Parker three years ago looked like a bust, and now he's a very good wide receiver. He's not top 10, but he's a very good wide receiver. So I give them a C plus because I wasn't really high on it. Didn't necessarily think they did anything bad. Just not good. Not, didn't stand out. Not franchise altering. Next up, we had the Minnesota Vikings. And I really like what the Minnesota Vikings had done this offseason. They essentially only made two signings, but the signings were so important. 
They didn't have, again, another team that was in pretty much cap hell. They cut Riley Reef. They cut Dan Bailey, Shamar Steven, uh, Cordrea Tankersley they cut as well. And they signed Delvin Tomlinson, which was a really, really nice signing. He is a, ru- uh, a run defense machine, and he eats blocks. And that's exactly what the Minnesota defense... The Minnesota defense needed because they are awful on the ground. And he is one of the best run, def- run defenders in the National Football League. Then they went out and signed Patrick Peterson. Yes, I know Pat Pete has been burnt toast the last like year and a half, but they also have the youngest secondary in football. They need someone to teach them the way. And for $10 million, I'll let Patrick Peterson teach my secondary how to play any day of the week. And the fact that you're still going to get adequate play from him at his age, and for that price, an obvious win. I gave the Minnesota Vikings a B plus. I think they've done a really good job so far this season. My friend Christian Vitale might not agree with that, but I think they've done pretty well. Next up, we have the Patriots, and here we go. This is a team that basically took three pages up with moves that they made. I'm going to run down it real quick. Cam Newton, one year, $5 million. It could, it could be 13.6. I've been a Cam Newton stand my entire life. Um, well, up until he's played in the NFL. I, lo- I love Cam Newton. I love the swagger that he brings to it. I just don't like the way he dresses. Uh, I think that he's gotten an unfair share. He's gotten unfair hate in his career. I do think that he is a good quarterback. I think he still has the potential to be a good quarterback. But this year will be it. Like Within the first six games, if he plays like he did last year, then he's out. And he might be out for good. But hopefully he could rekindle a little of that 2015 magic and become Superman again. I don't think it's bad. Uh, taking a one-year, $5 million flyer on Cam Newton again isn't that bad, if you ask me. Then they re-signed Justin Bethel. They traded for Trent Brown. They signed Jono Smith. They signed Devon Godshow, Jalen Mills, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Matthew Judon, Hunter Henry. I mean, just they re-signed Kyle Van Noy. They made a ton of moves. And you know what? I'm going to read you exactly what I said right here. This is going to sum it up perfectly. I'm not going to say a word after this. I'll just give you the, dr- the grade that I gave them. Let me flip my page here real quick so I can remember what the actual grade was. And I quote, The Patriots overpaid for a lot of free agents, but I guess that's what happens when this is the first time you spend more than the change in your pocket for 20 years. They made some really good moves while getting back a lot of players who opted out last season. This looks like it's Bill Belichick's final push for a Super Bowl. That's all I'm going to say about that. And I gave them a B plus because while they did overpay for a lot of those free agents, it was necessary. They needed to get better. They were pretty awful offensively. Uh, Their defense was okay, but their defense got that much better with the signings that they made. Their pass rush got better and they get back a bunch of players. So we might see the same. We might see the old school Patriots again next year. So B plus. Next up, we have the Saints, and I said it before, I was going to be very harsh on the teams that were in Capel. The Saints knew that this was coming for years now, um, and here we go. I mean, they cut Sanders, they cut Janoris Jenkins, they cut Thomas Morstead, of all people, the GOAT. They cut Josh Hill, they traded Malcolm Brown, they cut Nick Easton, they cut Quan Alexander, they re-signed Ty Montgomery for some reason, and really the big move that they made was they franchise tag Marcus Williams, which was probably their biggest, besides four getting under the cap was their biggest to-do this offseason. But I gave them a D because they didn't do anything. They couldn't do anything, and that's all you get a D. The Saints were $800 trillion over the cap, so I'm pretty sure they're still over the cap, honestly. 
I don't think they ever got underneath it. I think them and the I think them and the Rams were the two teams that just couldn't get under the cap before. Um, so I think the penalty is draft capital. I think they lose like a fifth or sixth or fifth round pick or something like that. Whatever. I give them the D because they did essentially nothing. Now, here is my other big winner of the offseason. The New York Giants got off to one of the most inauspicious starts to their offseason in recent memory. They essentially let Leonard Williams' franchise tag control their entire offseason. And at first, it might have been terrible and detrimental to the growth of the team. But in the long run, it might have been the best thing for them because the Giants franchise tagged Leonard Williams so they could work out a deal with him before the franchise tag, um, not, no, I'm sorry, before the offseason, before free agency tampering started. So instead of giving him $19.5 million guaranteed and eating away most of their cap space, they could, you know, give him a deal where a lot of it can be signing bonus, a lot of it can be incentives, and they'd have more cap space. Then about three days into free agency, they finally got a deal done with him. But at that moment, first off, a ludicrous deal. This is the one criticism I'll give the Giants this offseason is that three or six, 63 million is crazy for Leonard Williams. Yeah, he had a great year, but his battery mate, Dalvin Tomlinson, left town. And if you, if, if you look at Leonard Williams' highlights, the other guy in the backfield with him after every sack, every quarterback hit was Dalvin Tomlinson. So I'm not saying that Leonard Williams is going to revert back to the way that he was with the Jets. I just don't expect another great season out of him like like he had. Because unless they replace Dalvin Tomlinson with someone just as good or better. So yeah, the, Dalvin Tomlinson walked. He didn't wait. Rightfully so. He, he took the money that Minnesota was going to give him. I understand that 100%. And now I'm looking at it and I'm like, wow, they got no cap space left for the most part. Uh, they cut Kevin Zeitler, who was their uh, arguably best offensive lineman last year. So you're like, oh, great. Now they're down their best offensive lineman. Uh, their second best defensive lineman is gone. And they just signed a guy who has one really, really good year under his belt to a massive extension. So it wasn't looking good for Dave Gellman. But then they got a little bit more money. They signed John Br- um, John Brown. John Ross. Not bad. Two year, um, one year, two point five million dollar deal. I like that. They signed Kyle Rudolph. Seven million a year is a lot for a guy like Kyle Rudolph, but it might work out. Then the two deals that they made that made this an absolute A was getting Kenny Galladay and Adoree Jackson because that was two problematic areas for the Giants that absolutely needed to be addressed this offseason. And I thought that they were just going to wait for the draft because there's a ton of talent on both sides of the ball in the draft. Signing Galladay, who was arguably the best wide receiver on available, to a, a big a big contract, four years, $72 million, $18 million a year. That's the going rate for a good wide receiver nowadays. Galladay comes with some injury concerns, but he is a red zone nightmare, and he is a deep threat that Daniel Jones needs. Perfect signing, in my opinion. Then Adoree Jackson, even better. $13 million a year for a guy who has slightly underperformed his first round draft status but is still a very good player and he could play slot cornerback or he could even play outside. So it's even better. Like the, the, the one other hole that the giants had besides for offensive line was wide receiver and cornerback. And they addressed them in the best way they possibly could have. So hats off to the giants. And now there's no excuses. If the giants, excuse me, 
if the Giants draft a couple good offensive linemen, they get Nate Solder back, they have a good offensive line, there's no more excuses for Daniel. I call them Danny Nichols here. I didn't call him Danny Dimes. I just like to be silly and stupid. Um, so Danny Nichols will have no more excuses left. That's it. It's over. If you can't perform with this roster, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. You're going to be looking for a job somewhere else. Because they've definitely surrounded him with some talent. That's for sure. A. Absolute A for the, for the, for the Giants. Gettleman has turned the last two years. A, a lot of people will say, yes, it's Joe Judge. And that has something to do with it. But he hired Joe Judge. And he's turned this roster into a very competitive roster. I look 9-7, and 10-6. and six. Best case scenario, like completely overachieve, 11-5 and five this year for the Giants. Great offseason so far. Ah, yes. Let's keep this one short and sweet. The New York Jets. They signed Corey Davis. They signed Carl Lawson. They signed Sheldon Rankins. They signed LaMarcus Joyner, Keelan Cole, Tyler Croft, Tevin Coleman, Vinny Curry, and traded Sam Darnold. And let me tell you something. I'll read you, I'm going to do the same thing that I did with the Patriots because I don't want to harp on this forever. This is how you spend smartly while trying to rebuild the team the right way for once. The Jets will undoubtedly be better in 2021. The draft is huge. I need to see a couple offensive linemen, at least one pass catcher, and a stud cornerback for this offseason to be absolutely perfect. The Jets are creating something special. You heard it here first, people. I know the Jets, blah, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. The Jets suck. I get it. They have sucked for a long time. They're creating something special here. Robert Sala and Joe Douglas seem like the perfect bald-headed ass pair to turn this franchise around. I'm super excited for what they're going to do. I, obviously, you know, after trading Sam Darnold, it looks like it's going to be either the Zach Wilson or Justin Fields show. Okay, you're going to have a rookie corner, a quarterback. So probably with the other first-round pick, they're going to go. They're going to take an offensive lineman. There's a lot of good cornerbacks in the second to third round this year. I need to see one or two cornerbacks taken. Really, really. Now, this is going to sound so silly, but in the grand scheme of things, where the Jets need help essentially everywhere, after the offseason they had, the one problematic area that still stands out, if they stick to my plan, which obviously isn't the be-all, end-all, but what I think they should do, if, if they stick to the plan, the one problematic area is cornerback. Everywhere else is pretty much taken care of. Obviously, offensive line is crap right now, and they need another pass catcher. I get that. But really, really, they didn't address cornerback. So I need to see a number one cornerback taken in this year's draft, along with a couple offensive linemen and a decent pass catcher, and maybe a tight end in the, in, in the middle rounds. It's going to be a lot. The Jets aren't going to be, you know, Super Bowl contenders right away, but... They made that trade. They traded Sam Darnold. They now have 21 picks in the next two in the next two drafts. A lot of them high. This is it. This year they have to show something, and then next after next year after next year's draft and free agency, definitely have to show something. I expect the Jets to make the playoffs in 2022. I'll say that now. They have to, or else Joe, it's Joe Douglas's ass. It's not Robert Sala's ass. It's Joe Douglas's ass. Because he made a franchise-altering move in, in trading Sam Darnold, which a lot of people were still very high on, myself included. So, you know, to trade away Sam Darnold to get a rookie quarterback, you need to show something. But I think this is a massive, massive, monumental, jolly green giant step in the right direction for the Jets franchise. And I'm really happy about it. I gave them an A. 
Call me biased. You can call me whatever. You can call me for dinner, whatever you want. I'm giving them an A, and a lot of people should give them an A as well. Uh, this is going to be summed up in about 10 seconds. Philadelphia Eagles, awful offseason. They got an F. Don't even need to go into that. Signed no one except for Joe Flacco and Anthony Harris. Next. Pittsburgh Steelers had an okay offseason, I guess. God, I'm sweating. Talking a lot. I'm not used to, I'm not, uh, my stamina isn't what it used to be. I'm, I'm not used to talking for an hour, over an hour anymore. This is rough, man. It's rough. I'm sweating. I'm drinking a ton of water. I'm already in my second water bottle. My mouth's getting dry. Let's get this over with. Uh, the Steelers, I gave them a C minus because, you know, they lost, they, they lost more than they gained and they're arguably worse. Yes, they did get Juju back. For a year, which was a, a pleasant surprise for them, honestly. I didn't think there was any way in hell that they were going to retain Juju. Uh, they re-signed Cam Sutton, which was pretty good for them. They were cap-strapped as well. So, like, Mike Hilton had to go. You know, they're just a ton of guys are just gone. They did re-sign Tyson Alu-Alu after he initially re-signed with Jacksonville. He had a change of heart, Anthony Barr style, and came back. So that's pretty big in the middle of their defense, but they just lost way more than they gained. And, you know, just tying all this money into Ben Roethlisberger for what? For what? They have no run game now. They lost Bud Dupree. Well, that was that was probably going to come anyway. I don't. I think even if the Steelers had a decent amount of cash to spend, I think Bud Dupree was as good as gone because the Steelers know that they have to pay T.J. Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick very soon. So even if they had like $70 million in cap space, I don't think it was going to happen for Bud Dupree. So he got his bag somewhere else. Congratulations to him. The Steelers definitely got worse. I gave them a C-. Let's see what they do in the draft. They need a lot. They need a lot, especially especially offensive line, for sure. Now we move on to the 49ers, and I really like what the 49ers have done. This has been a team that has been like shrouded in controversy so far this offseason because Really, their offseason has been focused around what to do with Jimmy G and is Richard Sherman re-signing. And they just completely blocked out the noise. They said, listen, we'll deal with Jimmy G when the time comes. They re-signed basically everyone that they needed to. Yeah, they lost a guy here and there. Big deal. They re-signed Jason Verrett, who had a very good season being healthy again. They re-signed the juice, Kyle Juszczyk, which... I wouldn't even mention a fullback in any other space or any other stretch of the imagination, but Juszczyk is awesome. I love Kyle Juszczyk. Uh, Emmanuel Mosley, Trent Williams with the biggest contract in human history for a tackle. Don't really know how much I like that deal. That's what kind of brought this grade down a little bit. It was going to be an A-, minus, but this deal and plus you know the whole Richard Sherman thing and then the trade... To trade up to number three, they gave up a lot. It just kind of brought it down a peg for me. It's just my opinion. Uh, they re-signed DJ Jones, uh, Jaquaski Tart, uh, Kawan Williams, which is big, and Jordan Willis. So they basically retained most of the people that they needed to. They're going to get back a lot of healthy people. They, you forget that this team was decimated by injuries this year. That's the only reason why they probably weren't in the playoffs. They are a playoff team when 100% healthy. I don't think anyone could doubt that. Um, and they signed Alex Mack, too. That's a very nice signing to play center. I'm not sure. The last time I checked, I think Weston Richburg was playing center for the 49ers. I could be way off there. I could be way wrong, but that's just what I remember. You, sl- you throw him over to guard where he used to play for the Giants. 
you got a pretty decent offensive line again. Uh, I gave them, after the trade and after the Jimmy G saga and after the massive contract they gave a 32-year-old Trent Williams, I did give them a B plus. It was, Like I said, it was going to be an A-, minus, but I rethought it, and I was like, they don't really deserve an A for what they've, they've done so far, but they've done a very good job. Next up, the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, I don't know what to make of it, honestly. Um, usually when I don't really know what to make of it, when I don't hate it and I don't really love it at all, I usually just go in the C range. So this is a C plus for me. You know, Greg Olson retired. They signed Achille Witherspoon, which is pretty nice. They cut Carlos Dunlap and then I believe re-signed him. Uh, they signed Gerald Everett, which was pretty decent. One year, $6 million deal for a tight end. Not bad. They traded for Gabe Jackson, which might be too little too late to try and protect Russell Wilson. The only thing is they have no draft capital. They have nothing. How are you going to get better? I, I could see you not making a lot of moves if you're like, oh, well, we have 17 picks in the draft. So, you know, we'll just fill out our roster with quality players through there. But you got nothing. You have nothing. I think they have a second round pick this year. And then like a fourth and a seventh. I think that's it. They have nothing. And then next year they have nothing too. It's going to be rough for the next couple of years. That's why I think that they should trade Russell Wilson because you're you're not going to win anything. With how good Russell Wilson is, you're not going to win anything with just Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. That, you know, they got no defense. They just lost Shaquille Griffin, who was arguably their best defender. And they didn't replace him. Yeah, Achille Witherspoon is good, but he's not Shaquille Griffin. So... Really what I'm trying to say is you got no draft capital. You don't really have that much money. It might just be what's best for business, as my man Paul Levesque, Triple H, says. It might be best for business to trade him because if you're going to restart, you have a jump start because Russell Wilson's probably going to command three first-round picks and then a couple players and then maybe other picks too. So do it. But maybe time will tell. Maybe after this year we'll see what happens. I gave them a C plus because I didn't love what they did, but I also didn't hate it. They also signed Kerry Hyder, which was a pretty good deal, in my opinion, three years, sixteen and a half million for a guy that kind of flies under the radar a lot. I didn't mind it, honestly. I thought they did okay for the circumstances. I would just love to see them try and push a little bit more and try and work that cat because of the fact that they have no draft capital. They kind of just they fumbled it. They just Kind of let everything happen right in front of their eyes and did nothing about it. Moving on, the Tampa Bay Bucks. I mean, what can I say? What what can you say about this team? They literally re-signed every single player that was a free agent, except for Antonio Brown, and he's probably going to re-sign eventually because he knows that his career is best fitted in Tom Brady's hands. So he could argue about money all he wants. Inevitably, at the end of the day, he's going to re-sign with the Bucks. So let's say he resigns with the Bucks. Every single guy came back. So let's run it back. A. Absolute A. They, they signed Barrett to a long-term deal. They re-signed Levante David. They, um, they re-signed Gronk. They re-signed Adamican Sue. They re-signed Leonard Fournette. Just give him an A. Give him another title. No, I don't know about that, but it's unreal how they actually kept everything together. I think I just saw a stat the other day that it was like the Tampa Bay Bucks are the first ever returning, not returning, defending 
Super Bowl champ that is going to field the same starting 22 players from the year prior in their Super Bowl winning year. They're just breaking down every single like record. Like became the first team to host a Super Bowl, became the first team to win a Super Bowl in their home stadium. Like, come on, man. The Tom Brady effect is real. Ask Gronkowski himself. Absolute A. Won the offseason so far. I think I think it's them and the Chiefs have won the offseason so far. And the Chargers. Moving on, we got two more teams left. The Tennessee Titans. Now, the Titans cut a bunch of players. They didn't have much cap room. Um, but they made... Their secondary still looks really bad. They cut Kenny Picard. They cut Adoree Jackson. They signed stopgap guys like Kevin Johnson and Janoris Jenkins, who used to be good. But Chris Milton, Adoree Jackson, and Kenny Vaccaro were all gone. Um, they signed Josh Reynolds to, I guess, replace Corey Davis, I guess. Uh, they re-signed Jayon Brown, which was nice. That's who I wanted. I actually wanted the Jets to sign Jayon Brown. Really good cover linebacker. Um, that was a big miss, in my opinion, for the Jets at the time. But I think they did well for themselves. Uh, the two big moves that they made that shored up a, a, a place that desperately needed some shoring up was the outside linebacker defensive end position. They signed Danico Autry to a three-year, $21 million deal, and they signed Bud Dupree to a massive five-year, $82 million deal. But it's all, it's only thirty-two, it's only $35 million guaranteed, so it's a lot of incentive-based stuff, which was smart, especially coming off of an, uh, an injury-shortened year for for him. Um, it was very smart of them to do that. But I gave them a C minus because they just, they have too many holes right now. I, I need to see them. They need to maybe draft a cornerback in the first round, maybe even another pass rusher, maybe a wide receiver. They got a lot of big holes that Derrick Henry can't fill. Can't fill every single hole. I know he just rushed for 2000 yards and might, might be the first guy to ever rush for 2,500. Who knows with the way that this guy's going, but uh, to get back to the playoffs, I think it's a big road. I think it's a long road for the Titans. I think that they're going to have to really, really win the draft for them to get back into the playoffs in 2021. And last but not least, we end on an absolutely fantastic note. The Washington football team is just had a absolutely fantastic offseason so far. The only hole that they have on this entire team is quarterback. That's it. Everything else is great. They franchise tag Brendan Sheriff. They signed the GOAT, Brian Fitzpatrick. They shored up in a strong point with signing William Jackson to probably be their slot corner, or maybe corner um, on the opposite side, maybe. That's a strength. And then they signed Curtis Samuel for another offensive weapon. This team just got way better with very minimal pit like signings. Like they only signed three guys, really. But they got so much better in signing those guys. It's an A. It has to be an A for the Washington football team. It's gonna be you know what? This division might go from being the worst division in football history to a three-horse race that might go all the way to week 18 now. Because well, I mean the Cowboys got a D from me, but you know, they're gonna be healthy next year. And Dak is going to be Dak and probably throw for 580 trillion yards. Um, the Giants are another year coached under Joe Judge and are way better than they were last year. And the Washington football team has a gunslinger 
in Ryan Fitzpatrick now. Ryan Fitzpatrick might be the first guy to ever throw for like 5,000 yards, 40 touchdowns, 40 picks if he plays the entire season. Jameis Winston who? No more 30-30. We're going 40-40 with Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's just going to sling it. But I love every move that they made. I'm actually, I've softened on the Washington football team a lot because of the fact that we have had our friend Manny Jacuba on the, the show a couple times. Uh, he's really opened up my eyes to like the, the fans' perspective. And they really do have a great fan base. The owner kind of sucks, but the team is really fun and really young and really awesome to watch. And the fan base is pretty cool. So I hope that they do well. Uh, I I just, uh, I'm excited for him, especially because he's a diehard Washington football team fan. But um, anyway, yes, an A. But wrapping it up here, wow, 20 pages down in only an hour and 15 minutes. And I really started at 10 minutes, so really an hour and five minutes. Not bad. Not like I really had anywhere to be today. But if you've listened to this point, I'm sorry I've been choking on my own spit for the past hour and 15 minutes. I am not used to talking this much anymore. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'm, I'm at a loss for words, honestly. I just I, I said what I needed to say at the beginning. Uh, the, the, the numbers are fantastic. Even if the numbers were crap, honestly. I mean, you guys still support as much as you can. I'm really going to try and start pumping out more content as the time goes on once, I mean, it's, I've actually been very busy on YouTube and, and with the podcast and stuff. It's been a busy time and the numbers have been there and, and we continue to grow every single day. And I, I can't thank you guys enough. Uh, the draft cup, co- there's going to be draft coverage. Of course. I mean, this is my time to eat. Uh, I'm sorry for the lack of diversity with the episodes because you know, it's just been so dominated by football lately. I know that baseball just started and we're four games into the season. And I said last episode that I want to give you guys a weekly um, warning track power episode, just kind of updating, talking about how the season is unfolding. That will be coming at the end of this week, for sure. I just wanted to give it a full week of baseball before I do that. I just didn't want to do it four games into the season because we really know nothing. I mean, the Baltimore Orioles before yesterday were 3-0. And that never happens. So right then and there is something that tells you that, you know, we know nothing. We really know nothing until July or August. But, you know, I, I want to be doing the weekly updates because I love talking baseball and I haven't really been able to do it lately with the, the draft coverage and free agency and all that. It's been crazy. But I really, I'm going to focus up. I'm going to buck up. I'm going to get you guys some really good content. And I can't wait to do it. I hope you guys can't wait to listen. I hope you'll be there every single step of the way. I appreciate it very much, and thank you for listening. I believe, I could be wrong, that this is episode six of the Three Point Stance. Thank you so much for listening today. I'm, I appreciate you listening to me babble. Uh, I look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great day, everyone. Stay safe.